You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. <laughs> it's Halloween Movie Month here on 80s Revisited. <laughs> and now your hosts, Otto and Trey Harris. Fuck the prime time, bitch! Turn the radio on, please. I can't find the button. Is it this knob? I don't try pushing or pulling. I pushed it. I pulled it. Doesn't do anything. Isn't you have a remote? This is an old car. I have no clue. Wait, wait, shut up. Ladies, we're visited Halloween horror. John Coppin is Christine, and that's it. Welcome back, everybody, to our Halloween. Download those lyrics. <laughs> Lyrics.com. Uh, welcome to our, our fourth horror film this year, celebrating the works of Stephen King. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Trey Harris. Not with me again is my wife, Autumn, who got murdered and put into a car yeah. form or something. Told her not to go to that camp. <laughs> was it Camp Crystal Lake or Sleepaway <laughs> Camp? Which one? Did, I don't remember. One of them. Something happened. Uh, bad things I happened for camp. I ain't heard from her in a while. <laughs> and all, with me as always, my own best friend, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, I forgot where I was going to go with it. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Christine, let's get into it. Uh, December 9th, 1983, IMDb, 6.66. Actually, just 0.6. I'd like to believe it's the other way. Yeah, I'm sure. Let's just say for (laughs) sake of argument, it's 0.666. 6.66, I should say. Rotten Tomatoes, 67%. Uh, Critics, 63% audience. So it's fresh. It is a fresh tomato on that side. Budget was estimated at (sighs) 9.7. Opening, 3.4 million. Domestically, 21 couldn't find any info on Worldwide or Reynolds, but it doubled its budget, so it wasn't a failure. It was a success, pretty much, but we never did see a Christine 2, because, of course, if you've seen it, it's still out there, <laughs> supposedly. In typical John Carpenter fashion, because speaking of the man, the myth, the legend, one of my favorite directors of all time, he who directed the first 80s Revisited, and he who will probably direct the last, I'll just save a John Carpenter 80s film for our final episode to book and sandwich <laughs> it with John Carpenter films. It's There's only like one or two. Worst. <laughs> See Starman and what else? I'm yeah. missing another one. Uh, anyway, of course, if you don't know who John Carpenter is, you're living under a rock. He also directed one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Halloween movie of all time, Halloween. So there's something about that. Uh, of course, he's you know one of the best horror directors out there, uh, especially at, in this time in the '80s. You know with uh, Halloween, of course, was 70s, but, you know, Christine, The Fog, uh, Prince of Darkness. Always, uh, I really enjoy his, uh, his films. They have kind of a, a, kind of a classic aesthetic, I'd say, that's kind of, you don't see in kind of modern films, because he's kind of from that old school as well of uh, filmmaking, so it's got a kind of a classical feel in terms of just shots and all that, you know, composition of the frame, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. The screenplay, however, was done by Bill Phillips, who did nothing else of note, but, of course, based on a novel by Stefan King. Uh, 
starring Keith Gordon as Arnie. He was also in Jaws 2. Uh, he actually does more directing now. He actually was the director behind uh, The Singing Detective with Robert Downey Jr. So he's staying busy. Uh, John Stockwell was Dennis. Most people would recognize him, as my wife did immediately from Top Gun. He's Cougar. He couldn't handle it. He didn't even get to go to Top Gun, although he was in the movie called Top Gun. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh, another 80s classic, My Science Project. And uh, he, had some, he does a lot of bit parts, uh, stuff like Nixon and some other stuff. And then uh, Alexandra Paul was Lee, the love interest of Arnie and Dennis in the book, but not quite in the movie. But uh, most people might recognize her from Baywatch. She was one of the non-pretty lifeguards on Baywatch. <laughs> Short hair, kind of looked like a lesbian. Uh, a stereotypical lesbian. I mean that in the nicest way. Uh, she was also in Dragnet, not the... 60s television show, but of course the remake with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, another 80s classic, and starring the gentleman who's probably been in almost every movie ever made, Harry Dean Stanton as Detective Junkins, of course Alien, Green Mile, Avengers, Red Dawn, the original, not the remake, although he might have been in the remake, I don't know, never saw it, but he's pretty much in everything, so, uh, you oh, know. yeah, we had him at the house the other day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you were filming a movie, I bet, so you just showed yeah. up, like, hey, I, I, I'm in this movie. Yeah, no, I, think I was his... just filming us playing a board game. <laughs> He just showed up. Hey, I gotta say my line. Lee's gonna tell the next shoot. But he's been like in nearly two hundred like films. I mean, he's Jeez, you, yeah. if when you if you don't know his name, you know this guy. Mm-hmm. He's been in everything. In fact, there's a documentary yeah, on Avengers. Netflix which I haven't seen, but it's about him and how he's like been in movies with like practically every uh, star there is for like the past uh, sixty years. Partly fiction. Really? Did you see it, or, or is that the name of it? I mean, that's the oh, name. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm guessing that's what it is. It was something like that. It was on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, great actor. Says he's from 250 films, yet he's only credited for 195. Mm. He is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Still, even if I t- take 195, you know. So. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Robert's Blossom was George LeBay. Most people listening to this podcast would know this gentleman because he was the snow shovel murderer from Home Alone. Mm. Of course, he turned out not to be a murderer. He was not a murderer. He was actually a really nice, creepy old guy. He's very creepy in this film as well. Uh, William Ostrander was Buddy Repperton, the world's oldest high school student. Uh, If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I mean. This dude looks like he's 40 years old in high school. Uh, but he was also in Mulholland Drive and an 80s movie that has a badass cover that I've never seen called Fire and Ice. I assume it's some sort of medieval thing. Don't know. I'll have to check it out for one episode of the podcast eventually. Yeah, that sounds like Game of Thrones or buff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, before Game of Thrones. Maybe it was inspired Game of oh, Thrones. Oh, there you go. Who knows? We won't. Uh, but uh, the lovely and still beautiful Kelly Preston was Roseanne. Of course, she's the beard for John Travolta. Uh, she's also in <laughs> Battlefield Earth, Jerry Maguire, Twins, Death Sentence. And she's also in Dust Till Dawn. And when I read that credit, I was like, where the hell was she in Dust Till Dawn? She's the reporter on the TV they watch in the hotel room talking about how the Gecko brothers killed the state troopers and took the lady hostage. Mm-hmm. That's her role in Dust Till Dawn. In case you were wondering, like, thinking the same thing, like, where the hell was Kelly Preston in Dust Till Dawn? Yeah, uh, she was a reporter. She wasn't in the titty twister, unfortunately. That role changed my life. No. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely say it was a turning point in my career <laughs> when I played the reporter in Dust Till Dawn. But uh, rounding out the cast, Robert Prosky as Darnell. Uh, most notably, he was the bigwig television producer 
or TV channel owner, I don't forget which exactly his role was, in Mrs. Doubtfire, the one who uh, Robin Williams has to bounce back and forth between his table and Sally Field and Pierce Brosnan's table in the climactic conclusion <laughs> of the drag classic Mrs. Doubtfire. But he was also in... Mr. Lundy. Gremlins 2, Last Action Hero, Dead Man Walking, and unfortunately he did pass away in 2008. So no more starring roles for him. Hey guys, taking a quick break from the podcast, ask you to please, please, please... Shoot on over to iTunes, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. We love to hear feedback, because hey, let's face it, like the 80s, we're not perfect. Also, head on over to... <laughs> 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 so screwed up this ad. Damn, now I get, gotta get back to the show. This is a 30 second ad, we only got 8 seconds left. Oh shit, we're still, oh, I thought you expected you to do your hey, magical Amazon, editing thing. iTunes. And Stitcher. Reviews, go get them. Thank you. Uh, and it, once again, no Stephen King cameo. Mm. Not in this film. Not in John Carpenter's Christine, which really kind of struck me, first of all. Maybe he was the voice of Christine. <laughs> run, 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 run. <laughs> Voices by Stephen King. But, because, uh, of course... Uh, it's the only way we could do the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he won't let us do it unless he can be the voice of the car. He didn't care if we actually put the sound in the movie. But he, he just wanted to come up and do it. He just wants to come in and ADR it once. <laughs> see if it'll work. Interview fact, with John Carpenter. <laughs> there was a cut of this movie... Or Stephen King played the voice of Christine. But the movie turned out as a comedy, and we didn't want to ruin the horror film I made, because I'm John fucking Carpenter. It was the funniest so. movie I've ever made. <laughs> Alternate audio track on the Blu-ray. <laughs> Stephen, that's a motorcycle. I'm Stephen King. Shut up. Can we add a motorcycle to the movie, then? Actually, I want to change it. Let's make it a motorcycle. Yeah. Better yet, a dune buggy. A go-kart. It just keeps getting worse and worse. A power wheels. <laughs> In fact, they're going to beat it because it's going to lose its charge right at the last second. Yeah. I'm st- oh, you're talking back to me? Are oh. you Stephen King? Because yeah. I am. Yeah. Pretty sure I made this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 and one, <laughs> drug addiction and oh. alcohol addiction exercises. It's the must-have Blu-ray features. <laughs> <laughs> you must... You must have this. I would buy the Blu-ray for that feature if that were the case. Oh, God. Why can't we like be the people in charge of the world? Oh, no. <laughs> One day, maybe. But it really struck me because, uh, as I mentioned last week, I believe, I have never seen this movie until literally last night. Uh, or actually, night before last, excuse me. No, so you're so, not using literally then. Correct. Like literally last night, the night before. <laughs> yes, literally like recently. Figuratively last Figuratively, night. Figuratively, <laughs> literally, recently, I have seen it. Uh, yeah, but uh, I was really kind of shocked because, again, Stephen King, and this is early 80s Stephen King, this is like almost the height, you know, beginning of his peak of popularity. I mean, he already had Carrie, The Shining, etc. So, and John Carpenter always puts his name above the title. So I was kind of shocked. There's buddy, we're watching uh, the clip in the uh, garage now where they pull a knife on him. But uh, just so you know, Jesse, th- that guy <laughs> holding the bag is supposed to be a high school student. Him. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Jim Morrison. Yeah. Val Kilmer in, as playing the older Jim Morrison in The Doors is what this dude looks like. Supposed to be in high school. He kind of looks like uh, John Travolta. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's, and there's Horshack. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like a Welcome Back Cotter reference, which is odd because Kelly Preston's in this movie, so it all ties back to John Travolta in a weird way. But uh, anyway, I was kind of shocked that it wasn't Stephen King's Christine because... It's Stephen King, but again, John Carpenter, every movie he comes out with, it's not just Halloween. It's John Carpenter's Halloween. John Carpenter's the thing. John Carpenter's the fog. And since Halloween, that was always his biggest demand, was that you know he wants Final Cut and his name above the title. 
That's kind of his thing. Oh. Uh, all his films have that. John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Uh, I think Starman might not. But uh, Big Trouble in China doesn't. But I guess he just kind of thought that was too many words or something. I don't know. <laughs> but he usually, he loves putting his name above the title. Which again, just struck me because it's Stephen King's Christine. <laughs> yeah. But of course, the movie, as we'll get into at the end of the podcast, is way different from the book. Uh, all the beats are the same, but very different. But anyway, uh, having not seen this movie... And then watching it for the first time with a, uh, with a nice Bloody Mary in hand, I uh, kind of liked it. it was, uh, it's not one I'll watch a lot by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a... That's in the book. <laughs> um, sure it is. We're watching the scene where Moochie grabs Dennis's balls and like body slams him. John Garber's like, okay, now grab his nuts. Like, wait, wait, why? Are you sure about this, sir? Do we have to? It's I'm in John the book. Carpenter. And then he looks over at Stephen King and he's just like, still making car noise. <laughs> King says, go. King says, go. But uh, it's uh, having never seen it, you know, so there's no nostalgic tie to it. Uh, it's well made for an 83 horror movie. Uh, nothing but practical effects. Uh, especially the, there's an, in the book, the car regenerates. After the damage it takes from running these people down and such. Uh, I'll get into the technical aspect of that, but like stuff like that, all onset practical effects, you're watching a car reassemble itself, uh, which of course is just footage ran backwards. But uh, mm-hmm. it looks, it doesn't have that backwards look to it. It looks really good. Uh, and of course, it's John Carpenter. It's And this is classic John Carpenter. This isn't, you know, the war John Carpenter, like, you know, kind of today where he's he kind of doesn't like Hollywood and just kind of does whatever he wants, but this is, you know, classic Carpenter in a way to put it. But, uh, yeah, uh, I liked it. Wouldn't, wouldn't watch it every Halloween, every now and then, or if I'm showing, you know, hey, you should watch some John Carpenter films. Okay, well, you know, I've only seen this once. Let's watch Christine again or something. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I had no problems with it. Aside from reading the book and then watching the movie, I did exactly what I hate my wife does when she's read a book and then watches the movie and, and points out the dramatic differences between the two because that drives me crazy. But I had my revenge because I did it to her. <laughs> on this movie. But I also saw how that does make a big difference, especially in cases like this, where the book is a lot better than the movie, which we'll get into later. But uh, And also it's a hard, you know, it's it's just weird because it's a movie about a killer car. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, well, at least that's what the movie's about. The book's a little different in terms of that. Uh, in fact, the intro of the movie, uh, where it shows Christine being made in an assembly line, not in the book. That was just added to basically say, okay, this car was like, born or created evil sentient and all that whereas in the book it's a lot lot different than that because it's from detroit <laughs> it was born mean it's in your letters to 80s residents. <laughs> you're like, if you have car issues that are or if you're from detroit car, let us know do all cars come out this way is that why they don't make them there anymore yes as much because they were just too mean they're all built on indian burial grounds reference <laughs> to the next movie yeah there you go <laughs> spoiler not really no, no, no. if you've seen the poster I mean, yeah the artwork for the month on the facebook yeah. page but uh anyway yeah so if you haven't seen it it's not on netflix you're gonna have to uh go to 80 uh awesomepods.com click on Amazon link and swing over to Amazon uh, if I'm at a point in my life where I don't need to collect quote unquote movies or anything like that anymore or like mm-hmm. feel the urge to go out and buy one uh, except Mad Max Free Road that's the last Blu-ray I bought because you have to own that one that is one to own and watch not dependent upon any kind of web service or flash drive or any piracy issues that's one you need to be able to put on at any time and you want the digital copy so when you fly different places or you're traveling you can watch it at any time because it's always awesome mm-hmm. how many times you watch it uh, end of shameless plug, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, if, uh, you can, I think they actually either this year or last year came out with like a anniversary. Actually, it must have been 2013 because it was made in 83, uh, like a 30th anniversary edition of Blu-ray, you know, restored and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's, it's bound not to be one of those $24 Blu-rays. It's probably 10 bucks or something, if I had to guess. Uh, so if you haven't seen it and you have trouble finding it, you know, I'd say it's worth 10 bucks to watch once, especially if you're a John Carpenter fan like me and you've never seen it. Uh, and now having seen this, I can now honestly say I've seen every one of John Carpenter's films, so I can cross that off my bucket list. That this doesn't even exist. But uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, hmm. it's definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it. I would recommend it if you haven't. It's especially just because of the time it was made. I mean, this is a movie in eighty in nineteen eighty three, no CG about a killer car. That and it's it's shot well. The stunt driving's done well. Uh, it's really not that gory, which is surprising because it's a John Carpenter film. Uh, not that he's known for his gore, but I mean, in instances where he does show it, he's kind of liberal with it. Uh, at least uh, the thing. I mean, look look no further than the thing. Uh, there's the snow shovel killer right there. <laughs> Still looking creepy. Yeah, creepy. I kind of imagine after he sells the car in the movie, he then moves to Chicago. <laughs> and he starts exactly shoveling, uh, salting, uh, salting the sidewalks for all the little mm. kids and turning the bodies into mummies. Mm. But uh, anyway... Enough of my raving, ranting and raving about the film hmm. uh, as far as what I thought about it. Bottom line is, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's it's pretty it's pretty enjoyable. I mean, uh, if you've read the book, it's way different. They it's got, I like to quote Inigo Montoya on this. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. That's what <laughs> they do in this movie, and especially next week's movie as well. Uh, the books are just... Uh, one thing I've learned about reading five Stephen King books in the past month... <laughs> is that the dude likes to explain everything. Every Stephen King book, at least the ones involved in this, uh, for this month that we've covered, of course not The Shining, because that was we already did that one. I haven't read that book. But uh, all of his books, at least in reference to the ones we've done, uh, they're very slow burns. So you're, he's explaining, the relate, building these relationships, building up the interpersonal relationships in the story, and then it's usually the last hundred pages when the scary shit happens, or the, you know, the dog finally starts attacking people or uh, the car starts killing people and stuff like that. So it's all mysterious uh, until then. But uh, anyway, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, be actually talking about the lack of gore, mm -hmm. uh, it actually came out with a PG rating at first, but they didn't want that for a horror movie, so they had to add the word fuck a lot. Uh, and it's derivatives, as they say, uh, to get the R rating. In fact, the producer said they were actually criticized at that for using that at the time, just because they kind of overused it, but anyway. So, you know, if you get a PG this day now, nowadays you can say fuck, you know, four, two or three times in a PG thirteen. It seems like it used to be like maybe once or so. Although remember Spaceballs and some other select films got away with saying fuck in a PG. So, but uh, in fact, a lot of the words and derivatives, as they say, they use a fuck in the film. They just pulled from the novel. Mm. So they're just kind of, you know, taking lines right from the book. Uh, hmm. When Christine hunts down the members of Reverend's gang, uh, her windows are blacked out, which obviously they're hiding the stunt driver. But uh, the problem is, these scenes all happen at night, so he's basically blind anyway. Mm. So he had uh, the stunt driver had a lot of difficult difficulty driving with blacked out windows at night because couldn't see shit. So didn't kind of they could have just you know had him on the floorboard like in Maximum Overdrive or something <laughs> or use a remote control one I guess I don't know. But, of course, John Carpenter is king of making quality horror films on a low budget. So that's probably the cheapest and best option. And I mentioned before the car re regenerating scene, uh, which is it turns out really good, even though, you know, of course, you can reason out that it's ran backwards. But it was a plastic version of the car. 
sprayed with some sort of paint that made it look metallic. Mm. And they had hydraulic pistons inside that basically crunched it up and then pushed it out. Oh, wow. And it went back to its original shape. So that's all they did, which is kind of run it in reverse hmm. and push it out. So it's a, it's a literal onset practical effect, and it looks really good. Uh, especially, again, 1983, guys. Yeah. This isn't Nowadays, of course, it'd just be CG. In fact, uh, when I fit, before I watched the movie, I watched the trailer as I was reading the book because I just want to kind of get a, an essence of what the, how the tone of the movie. And when I saw that scene, they show like a little part of it. Like it almost looks CG because it looks so like it just looks so good. Like I thought, like wow, that's a great effect. That almost looks CG. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, you know, nowadays that's not not that they wouldn't spend the money to do that nowadays because of course instead of building a hydraulic pump in a plastic car, they just pay some nerd in a basement to hey uh, make this car like uncrush. Okay, man. <laughs> and he's if he button clicked and he's yeah, done. Done. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, so always let us see a good. Uh, Practical effect on set. Uh, mention Stephen King's popularity. Uh, he was so popular to give you a, a net, uh, just how big he was at this time in film, or how you know people were snatching up book rights left and right. The novel, this movie began production before the novel was even released, hmm. which is pretty unheard of yeah. as far as like especially something that's based on a book that hasn't come out yet. Because again, the book. Uh, well, I'll get into it later. But the book came out in '83. The movie came out in December of '83. So. People would just finish reading the book, and the movie's already out. It's almost to that point in Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, it's past that, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. Basically, now the, the film world has taken over the, the book world. Uh, let me see. Oh, in the opening scene, like I mentioned before, where Christina's being quote-unquote born, that was added for the movie. It was just to explain the evil nature of the car, which, of course, in the book, that's not the case. The car yeah. wasn't made evil. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah. anyway... Uh, this is pretty funny, I thought, because since we did Cujo a couple weeks ago, uh, the producer, uh, Richard Kobritz, uh, he also produced the film version of Salem's Lot. He was given some unpublished manuscripts by King as to what he would like to consider for his next film adaptation, and he got Christine and Cujo. And he thought Cujo, mm. or as a quote, uh, quote unquote, he, did, he made Christine because he thought Cujo was, quote, too silly. Hmm. So, which, uh, I mean, it's not as it's actually not silly when the alternative is a demon, demonically possessed car, as the screenplay of this movie was, as opposed to a rabid dog, which is actually real and could actually yeah. happen to you. If you have an instance with a demon possessed car, please let us know. Yeah, so We'd we can to hear about it. Then uh, you know, hopefully you're still alive and it's, you're not on the run, running from it still. Don't text and drive, <laughs> unless the car's doing the driving for you. I guess. But anyway, uh, this would have been interesting. Kevin Bacon was offered the lead role. Uh, I didn't say if it was Arnie or Dennis. Uh, I would assume probably Dennis because yeah. he's not exactly the dork kind of character. <laughs> but he wisely chose Footloose instead. What a fool. <laughs> I mean, smart person. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those is still widely remembered in pop culture. Yeah, and and weddings. Isn't. Yeah, very true. <laughs> They don't drive off in Christine's yeah. at weddings. Although that car is yeah. very beautiful, and I'd love to have one. Mm. Oh, and I should have mentioned, too, uh, when we're going over the cast, we do have a veteran of the podcast on the cast, and that is the car itself, because if you remember, on our Little Shop of Horrors episode, there are two scenes where the car, one of the cars from the film drives by in the background. Oh, so wow. Christine cameos in Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> so don't forget that. 
Uh, most notably, if you're watching Little Shop of Horrors, because it's Halloween and it's a great one to watch, uh, it's when Steve Martin, I think, pulls up on his motorcycle going to his dentist's office. You'll see Christine drive by. Uh, and then I think also when, right before it gets dim, when Audrey appears from space or whatever, when Atlantis is on the street in Chinatown. I believe those are the two locations where she appears. Uh, strangely enough, Detective Jenkins also drives a Plymouth Fury, which... Christine is a 1958 Plymouth Fury, but uh, the one that the detective's driving is actually a uh, 1977 or 78, which was actually a very popular brand of car to be used for police cars in the late 70s, mm. which, of course, rolled right into the early 80s when this film was made and was set, I believe, in the 70s, though, late 70s, if I remember correctly, because uh, it was a lot of, uh, I think they kept saying like 20 years ago when the film on, uh, on the car was being over 20 years old, which is a 58, so I'd put it at 78, late 70s, so that's uh, pretty accurate. And strangely enough, in a case of life imitating uh, art, you might remember a few years ago Stephen King suffered an accident by getting run over by a car. I think a minivan hit him or something like that, and uh, he was in the hospital for a while. In fact, uh, he said uh, he wanted to beat the van with a baseball bat when he got out, but his lawyer unfortunately informed him that uh, his lawyer had already bought the van and sent it to be demolished before Stephen King got a chance to exact his vengeance, but he Repertin style on the vehicle that sent him to the hospital. Wow. So, uh, what a weirdo. <laughs> a very, very rich and intelligent weirdo. But uh, anyway. The car did it. Uh, no. Probably <laughs> been great publicity for a book or something, you know? Like, hey. Just this like, is where we would have a gun debate. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gun didn't kill people, uh, you know, yeah. Stephen. It was the drive, you know. Yeah, the van. Well, although. If we you need to open up van control. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you remember, I don't know if you might remember this, Jesse. I remember in the '90s when they, when Fox, uh, the television channel, uh, not the news channel, uh, had the uh, they had the string of when animals attack. Mm-hmm. They had one that was called when cars attack, <laughs> and it and I, I until I watched it, then I finally like I assumed it was a parody, but it and as you're watching it, it was Richard Belzer I think hosting it. And as I'm watching, okay, yeah, this is completely tongue-in-cheek, but it was done in a very serious way. <laughs> it would show all these, like, you know, not faces of death quality things, but, like, it would show, like, a car at a rally event, like, lose control, and the driver would lose control, and the car would go off the road towards the camera, and he'd be like, now, did the driver actually lose control, or did the car have something sinister in mind? So they played it up like cars were attacking people in this, <laughs> in, when cars attack. Uh, actually, Justin pulled it up on YouTube, lanes. so you can and watch probably the whole thing right the there on YouTube. I didn't make it up. The other way. But it's complete. Please, everybody, remember, it's not like mermaids on Discovery or Megalodon. This is a fake tongue-in-cheek thing saying about cars attacking. Cars don't really attack people. That's fine. Unless you're irrelevant. Unless you hear about a, an obituary soon of me dying because my car attacked me. You know, my car, a strange car accident, or whatever. But uh, anyway, this is. I thought this was pretty funny. Uh, in fact, uh, on the Blu-ray or the uh, DVD, whichever suits your fancy, of Christine, there's over 20 deleted scenes. I don't have the DVD or the Blu-ray, so I didn't get to watch them. Uh, but there was a... Uh, uh, let me see, was it actually filmed? I'm not sure. It might, maybe it's on there. It's not. But uh, it was funny because it was a screenwriter and George Thorogood filmed a scene uh, that was supposed to appear at the end of the credits where uh, they're the ones that drop the demolished spoiler alert, car crushed Christine on the ground. But uh, I think it was a producer that uh yeah the producer the same guy that option to do christine over cujo say that the acting was so bad <laughs> in just that little bit part that they cut it out of the film <laughs> so stick to writing george and stick mm. to uh, writing screenplay the other guy who didn't obviously do anything of note after this anyway but uh 
strangely enough, Scott Bayo was originally considered to play Arnie Cunningham, and very nicely enough, Brooke Shields was considered for the role of Lee Cabot, but uh, all the filmmakers kind of thought they'd rather go with unknowns for whatever reason. Also, probably, again, John Carpenter saved some money. Uh, the Killer Car Christine. Oh, I might mention that Little Shop of Horrors because we're ahead of the game here. But uh, <laughs> let me see. Oh, this this was kind of in the DVD. There's a apparently uh, a pretty significant documentary on the DVD as well. So that's probably another reason if you like the film, be a good reason to check out. I'd like to be interested in watching it as well. But uh, they cut out the novel's plot of the dead owner spirit possessing the car and actually uh, causing Christine to kill basically as a possessed vehicle and not any other sort of subplot or anything pretty much to compress the story and save time. But also, uh, they felt like it would be copying an American werewolf in London where, uh, the similarities there is because the character David in American werewolf in London sees his dead friend. And it's kind of similar in Christine in the novel, how Arnie sees, excuse me, LeBay as a corpse driving the car. So I thought that's a little too close, although it's really kind of not in my opinion, but uh, so that's why they didn't kind of go with the the aspect that George LeBay spirit is what possesses the car because of his obsession with it in the novel. Which uh, wrapping up the movie, we're gonna get into the novel right now. Body count six fatalities mm. from Christine. Uh, score wise, I enjoyed it. Again, it's Carpenter, so I am a little bit of a fanboy. So there's not really, but there's no nostalgia in play here. But I I, uh, I enjoyed watching the movie. Uh, I'd give it a seven. Oh, that's wow. definitely uh, it's not bad, but again, it's not great. Uh, I mean, it's no Halloween or Fog or any of the other kind of well-known Carpenter classics, which uh, pretty much the reason I hadn't seen this until recently, uh, a few days ago, as I mentioned before, was simply because just You'd rather it watch wasn't <laughs> it wasn't one of his more popular films. Yeah, you know, but uh, I mean, of course, Halloween, Fog, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Starman, all those are really uh, much more well-known than this. I mean, I always remembered this film. Uh, simply because the cover had the car staring at you with headlights, and the back was just a big picture of Moochie running from her, mm. running from the car. It's like, oh, okay, it's a killer car. Which mm. also, when you know, there's a killer car or a slasher with Michael Myers, one of them's a little more jumps out. Pardon the pun, a little more than uh, a killer car. Yeah, Michael Myers is cooler than a killer car. No offense, Christine. Yeah, you're still cool. You're lo- you're a beautiful car. I would drive you all over town if I had a replica. <laughs> Of a 58 Plymouth Fury. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, in the real world, again, this released uh, December 9th, 1983. To keep it in the theme of Halloween, uh, just a few days before, on December 2nd, was the debut of Michael Jackson's Thriller. To kind of date it in a time period. Uh, So you watched it on MTV a few days, and you went to the theater, and you watched John Carpenter's latest film, based on a Stephen King book, which... uh, Having not read the book, I probably would have liked the movie a little more mm-hmm. because uh, I guess it's just that aspect of knowing so much more of the subtext and then the movie just blatantly leaving it out for uh, time issues, basically. Uh, it does make a big difference if you read the book. But again, as a whole, the movie's uh, it's good. I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a Carpenter fan. But anyway, speaking of the getting to the book, the uh, movie released December 9th, I believe I said. Yep, strangely enough, the movie, uh, the book... Re- Okay, if I said book, I meant the movie. The movie released December 9th. Strangely enough, the book released April 9th. Uh, same year, like I mentioned before. Uh, the biggest difference between the book and we're watching lovely young Kelly Preston in The Blonde. And this dude, he goes for her over Kelly Preston. Okay, I'm just saying. 
Kelly Preston's like throwing himself all over uh, the character of Dennis in this film, and he just ignores her. No way, bro. But uh, anyway, speaking of the book, uh, I really, really like the book, Christine. In fact, of all the books we've read, or I've read for, uh, or in fact, all the Stephen King books I've read, this is probably right up there with my favorite next to, actually, next week's book. Hmm. Uh, because... Uh, I used to hear. I mean, I used to read a lot of books, but I, you know, I read a lot of the classics, so to speak, like some science fiction classics. But then, like you know, Treasure Island, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, like uh, my high school years was right when the uh, all the Star Wars books, the expanded universe, started, and that that became my main reading habit until it just got out of hand. You couldn't read more. You know, a book was coming out every week, it seemed. But anyway, uh, so this you know often I hear like people say, "Oh, this book really made me feel like you know this was what it was like," or reminded me of a time in my life or something. Well, this book actually did that for me when it came to down to the relationship between Dennis and Arnie in the book. It's the first three quarters of the book, actually more about half of the book, actually, because this one's kind of paced. Uh, stuff starts happening sooner than like in, say, Cujo or even uh, Pet Cemetery from next week. But uh, it's really more of just a coming-of-age story, and Dennis and Arnie's relationship is so fleshed out in the book. Like, you feel sad for him. Uh just like in the movie, spoiler alert. So if you want, if you haven't seen, you want to watch it. Uh, Arnie dies, uh, <laughs> both in the book and the movie. Uh, in the movie, he basically, as Christine's, he's driving Christine. Mm-hmm. So as it's Christine's ramming things, glass breaks and just hits him and bleeds mm-hmm. out. Uh, in the book, uh, because LeBay's controlling the car, Arnie's always out of town when Christine goes on her murder rampages, killing the people that like beat her up, like because reference gang like in the book smash the car. Uh, and they all die kind of differently, except Moochie. He got ran over like that. Uh, although he got like ran over in the middle of the road. And in the book, it was exceptionally graphic. When they talk about the murder scene, Like he was like a literally smeared across the pavement because the car backed over <laughs> so many times. Very graphic in the book. Uh, and then also, uh, Christine is very much more so, uh, or more evil and sadistic in the book. Like when Refferton, in the movie... She just kind of blows up the gas station. I mean, she runs it, just runs him over because he runs away. Yeah. But in the book, like she plays with him, like just just waits for him to get up and try to escape, and then beats, him, runs over and runs over his arms, runs over his legs, just hmm. makes him suffer. Yeah, pretty much takes her time killing him, or LeBay takes his time killing him because that's the one who's taking control of everything. But uh, yeah, the in the book had some like actually really philosophical like discussions that Dennis and Arnie would have, like just about growing up. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I really, I was like, oh, that's like really good. Like one of them was uh, being young is learning how to live, and being old is learning how to die. Which not to get too deep, because we like to keep it fun yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's like, I get that. Like, I understand like what they're saying here. Uh, and then another one was like, having kids is kind of when you accept having kids is the ultimate acceptance that you're going to die. Yeah. I was like, God, like this is some damn good writing, and it's a book about a killer car. That's why we don't both don't have kids. Yeah, because <laughs> we're living, man. We're gonna live forever. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and speaking of which, we always talk about how me and Jesse and like a couple other couples are only ones without kids. Well, another one dropped off of that tree past oh, yeah, couple yeah, weeks, yeah, so yeah, now yeah. there's only like three couples in our circle that don't have kids yet. So we're staying strong. Cliff, as you're talking about, yeah, yeah. I was kind of under, you know, like they talk a big game, but their announcement was just so normal. I was expecting it was. something better. I was expecting something, I said, but I was I, like, this looks like everybody else's. I was like, I told Autumn, like, you, know, you understand, like, you know, <laughs> I, I gave you your perfect proposal pictures and engagement photos and wedding photos. When we get a kid, like, it's going to be, like, awesome. <laughs> We're not going to, like, be standing, you know, wherever. Tip, you know, I'm not, of course, some people, of, cor- <laughs> of course, whatever we do, I'll, I'll, we'll take a couple of normal pictures for her. 
But the announcement that's going up on Facebook and all that is going to be there's got to be some sort of Star Wars theme yeah. or you know something else. There's you know I, I got time to think about it. Yeah, that's me knocking on wood just to make sure. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, but, uh, anyway, yeah, but, uh, the, if, uh, if you're looking to read like a good book, like, you know, if you're like, or you never read some of Stephen King's work, I would really recommend this book, especially if you're kind of like in that, my age group, our age group, mm-hmm. you know, late twenties, mid thirties, uh, and that kind of age group, because, uh, it, I really kind of connected with the characters, especially if you're a guy, because the relationship in the book is so well-defined and it's just really, you feel for him in the end. Like in the movie, I don't give a shit. I don't right. care that Arnie's dead. Like, good, you're a little fucking punk. But in the book, I was like, oh, man, like, it was sad. Like, I mean, I didn't cry or anything because I'm a man. But uh, it was way better in the book uh, as far as that goes. Uh, some other, uh, a lot of the differences also, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, well, uh, in the book, in the movie, Roland the Bay sells him the car and then says his brother bought the car. It's exactly flipped in the book pretty much in that LeBay does sell him the car, but it was his car. And his wife, his daughter choked on a hamburger in it. Uh, and his wife asphyxiated herself in it. And then it was actually, LeBay dies shortly after he sells the car, which is why his spirit comes back and, like, you know, inhabits the car, so to speak. Comes back through Arnie and through the car. And uh, and that's why you have the similarities, like, in the movie where she's choking in the car and uh, stuff like that. But it's LeBay's brother at the funeral that kind of tells him in all that behind-the-scenes stuff of that and how, like, cruel he always was. So he was really a, an asshole. Or as they would say in the book, he's a shitter. <laughs> and they say it once in the movie. Uh, uh, also in the book there was this whole plot about how Darnell uses a gar- his garage as a front for smuggling like cigarettes and drugs and fireworks and all sorts of stuff uh, and in fact Arnie worked for him like he kind of hinted at in the, in the movie how he, like, he could clean up around here but actually in the book Arnie was smuggling stuff for him and that's when Arnie would go out of town on a smuggling run that Christine would go out and you know kill whoever she felt like killing that weekend hmm. uh, also Arnie got arrested from, from doing that in the book uh, Darnell also gets arrested and he's killed by Christine not in the car which is kind of awkward in the movie because he's in the car and then it locks and he starts screaming it crushes him like by pushing the seat up against the steering wheel hmm. but then like they say like he shot himself and they pull the body out and stuff like that so uh, but in the book it's it's really it's way more I was hoping they did it in the movie but they didn't but uh, basically he's in his house like, you know, like and he sees Christine out there and he's like you can't he's like fuck <laughs> what are you gonna do I'm in a house Oh, she comes through the house repeatedly and just, like, he tries to get up the stairs and she keeps just smashing the house and he falls down and obviously she gets him. You gotta yeah. think, if you're, like, on a, I don't know, an embankment, like, <laughs> standing on, you know, concrete yeah. difference in terrain, it's just like, you know, what's she gonna do? I mean, unless she got hydraulics put in or something. Well, I mean, again, because the thing, and the, they talk about it in the book, at least, like, at, you know, she's, the car, it, I mean, the car is, it's susceptible to damage. Like, she gets, yeah. like, crushed and, like, beat up. But then she backs up, heals up, and comes back again and again and again. So she doesn't stop. Uh, that's kind of where the terror comes in because I'm reading it like, like, okay, how would you get away? I mean, she would literally just run your house down until she got you. Like, well, there's a lot of flat land around here, sure. Oh, but. yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> actually, the big thing when they, because Darnell's like, he could hear the, the boards creaking. Because right. this is up in Maine. They have cellars. He's like, he's like, fall, you bitch, fall. And, like, like it's almost like the car realizes that it's about to fall and, like, backs up and comes at him a different way and stuff like that so yeah if she was like like say a house was gone just the basement remained she got stuck in that basement area how would she get out <laughs> now see that that you know look, i'll be honest as i'm reading the book i'm like okay how are they going to stop this thing how are they going to stop this thing is literally unstoppable 
and they don't. So there's a big hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd have to like get it in a basement and then pour concrete over it or something. But not even that. You could just keep ramming this out of the wall. That's it would fine. be like the latest episode of Walking Dead. Be- okay, I didn't see yesterday's. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the first one then. You saw the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How all the zombies. Okay, spoilers, you haven't seen the new season. Because uh, I just watched the second episode right before I came. Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. But uh, anyway, in the first episode, all these zombies are there in a pit. Like they're falling in, they can't get out. Right. And then they're like, oh, we got, we got to go through this whole elaborate plot to get them out of there. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. No, you don't. All those cars that you parked up to hurt them, park them on the road in front of that thing and make a gap where they can't get out. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, this is so simple. Like, what? That's the only thing. I, the show, you, they, these characters make stupid decisions repeatedly, but they it's do. so well acted. <laughs> they could I just lit that whole hole on fire. <laughs> yeah. They could have, there's so much they could have done, but no, they risk everything for this elaborate plot. I know. And it's just like, if Rick wasn't such a, uh, Andrew Lincoln was such a good actor, like, as he's, like, explaining it, I'm like, this is still stupid, but I'd follow you. Yeah. I mean, like, even though that one dude stands up, like, this is stupid, and he's like, no, it's not. We gotta do it. This has gotta happen. It's not gonna hold. Like, like bullshit. Find Park some, more cars in front of it. Just something flammable. You won't find gas, because gas is probably hard to find. Yeah. But something else flammable that no one uses anymore. Or you just throw a bunch of tank shit of that, in there, and then drive it, it over. <laughs> exactly. And just till that liquid goes everywhere, and then throw a match in there. Boom. Done. <laughs> but no, it's The Walking Dead, so they have to be super <laughs> extravagant. And they, I, or, I mean, get a chemist in there to mix something. Because <laughs> they have every other kind of stereotypical like character they need, except a chemist. They were like, uh, <laughs> if you could just take some you know detergent and some uh, Windex, and I can make a bomb and kill them yeah. all. Like they don't have that one person that can like do something. Like that. They need Walt from uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> what an epic crossover that yeah. would be! <laughs> yeah, would be. I just got out of prison. I'm surviving. I'm looking for my friend Jesse. <laughs> That would be so cool. He just appears like, oh man, in a perfect world. Yeah. What a great crossover. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'll talk about they're now getting run over. Uh, oh, in in the mo- in the book, Lee and, uh, Lee and Dennis get together because Arnie's going through all these changes because of being next to the car and being obsessed with it, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, that's why Christine and Arnie meet him, or excuse me, Christine goes after Dennis at the end much like in the book as in the movie at the garage, because he tells Arnie, like, I mean, I'm going to be at the garage, like, you know, and, you know, I fucked Lee, she, you know, because she, she tasted good, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> he says what he needs to say to piss him off enough to where he knows that he's going to leave town and Christine's going to come after him so they can try to stop her. Mm. Uh, in the movie, they used a bulldozer. In the book, it was just like a big Mack truck that he just rams her repeatedly and repeatedly and stuff like that until, like, she's just smashed to bits. <laughs> uh Oh, Detective Junkins is killed by Christine near the end of the book. He lives in the movie. Harry Dean Stanton lives uh, another day. Uh, in the book, when Rufferton and everybody smashes Christine, uh, and if you read the, in, in a deleted scene, I saw that they do show it in the deleted scene, but uh, Moochie takes a shit on her dashboard in the book and in a deleted scene. So that was like the, because they harp on that in the book, like, it wasn't so much they smashed it, they fucking shit on her, like, you know, like, he's, that, that pisses him off. Like he, I think Arnie says that, something like, I don't care if they smash her up, I can fix it, but they shit on her. That's disgusting, they shit on my car. Uh, but they do Can't it. fix that. But uh, actually, Arnie fixes up the car enough to bring it home, and his mom, like in the book, in the movie, she's really kind of a bitch, but they explain it a lot more in the book, obviously, so it's not quite as abrupt. In the mm-hmm. movie, I'm like, gosh, he just, they just made her a flat out bitch, like, straight up. But uh, so he parks it. His dad convinces him just park it at the long term lot on the, at the airport because it's cheap, cheaper than keeping it at the garage anyway. And then you just take the bus to get it and pick it up and blah blah blah. And then your mom won't complain. He's like, okay, fine. So uh, they go to the airport and that's where they smash it up. 
uh, and then, but uh, the guy that lets in the book, the guy that lets him in at the airport is a guy named Sandy Galton who goes to school with him. He knows everybody. Christine doesn't get him until the end. That, like the book, the book has such a John Carpenter kind of ending, and the movie does too, with like the the crushed car, like kind of wiggling again and like healing just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's still not dead. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the book, you know, it, the, the book was done really interestingly because Dennis is narrating the first and the third halves or third parts of it, and then he gets his football accident, and then it's kind of like a an omniscient narrator. I forget what they call that. There's a name for like that type of narrator. Uh, in literary terms, but Again, uh, for the second, there. second <laughs> for the middle of the book, but then Dennis comes back to his like telling the story at the end when he's like back in the story, which is really cool because he gets hurt in a football accident. I'm like, okay, I guess he's going to be talking from his hotel bed. Or it's going to jump, you know, months in the future. But no, it's like t- like a general narration of what's happening until he's sort of back in the story, which is really cool. But uh, anyway, in the book, the guy that lets him in at the airport, like years later. Because uh, it's very similar to the end of the movie. They do junk and crush Christine, but then like they don't know where they wish the pieces, the, the cube was shipped off to. Uh, but Dennis reads that a, a the guy that let him in, that let him into the airport, the Sandy uh, Galton guy, was run over by a car. Mm. And like years later, and then like that's the thing in the book. Like it ends on like you know, is it you know is it gonna find us again? Like you know he's like he's like I don't want to like be paranoid, but was it could it could it possibly be Christine that uh killed him after all these years, finally hunted him down and be coming for him again. Because uh, the last words of the book are really cool because the, the brand of the car was a Plymouth Fury. And he's like, it's like his LeBay Fury will not die. So it's like kind of like the the plot, the supernatural aspect is like, you, you're not, you can't stop it. Like you got to put it in a basement and then, you know, hide it to where it can't get out or something to stop it. But uh, yeah, so in the end of the movie... In the book, it's just like the movie to where, except a little more uh, open to interpretation, I guess, or whatever, however you want to put it, that Christine is still out there and might come back for him. So, great ending in the movie with the car slowly trying to heal after being crushed up. Classic Carpenter. And then the book had a real, same, same kind of way. Really good open ending, open-ended book, uh, ending to the book, excuse me. Uh, score for the book, I said the movie was a seven. The book was a nine. I, wow. I really like this book uh again i haven't read like you know i haven't read the shining or carrier like some of the work or uh the stand is probably my honestly the stand is probably my second favorite or probably my favorite stephen king book i should say this this and pet cemetery would probably be like tied for second mm. to be honest uh but yeah like i i didn't expect this book to be as good as it was like i mean i was just like oh, this is like I, I literally would put it down like god it's good this is a good book like i really like this book and i haven't read a book that i really liked in a long time mm. Also because I haven't been reading books until you know, yeah. I thought about doing this idea for the podcast, and now I've read like 2,000 pages worth of books. That's crazy. In like a I don't read much. <laughs> I, I used to read all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, not comic books and novels, just like, I'd, I'd read to fall asleep. Every night I would at least read like a chapter or two, and then just kind of, you know, grew out of it, however you want to put it. <laughs> I, don't I grew know. out of books. <laughs> I graduated to, you know, video game, like full-time video games, you mm-hmm. know, instead of part-time book and part-time video game, I went full video uh, but anyway, that's enough about Christine for this week. Oh, and by the way, Jesse, I meant to say we did the intro. Great intro for this year. Oh, yes. Appreciate uh, it. <laughs> I meant to say that last week, too, but I forgot by the time we got done, so I didn't want to forget. Great, great intro for Halloween Horror Month. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, if you w- let us know your thoughts on Christine, drop us a review on iTunes. Always makes our day to see that. Uh, but also, you can email us at 80srevisited at gmail.com. Also, you can check us out on Facebook, Internet, and Twitter, or the web and Twitter website, I should say. 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, at Awesome Pods for all those, or awesomepods.com, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the Awesome Podcast Network has other podcasts. All the classic episodes of everything from Geekly Dose to Duo Attack. Why don't you know this? Product City Report, Jesse's own podcast. If, if you want to hear a conversation with two people you'll never probably meet, or maybe you may, <laughs> you never know. It's a small world. Uh, always, I think I've said it before, but uh, I think one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever heard or that's ever been written in a book is the best, greatest conversation you'll ever have in your life is with a stranger. Mm, yeah. I truly believe, like, there's been some great conversations that I've had, like, in, like, you know, didn't they're not strangers now, but at the time they were. You know, some of open up your or, world. Yeah, you know, like they make you think about something or whatever. So, but anyway, and also as always, a big shout out to our friend John, John, our friends John and James and Lafayette. Now versus installed to check them out because, like I always say, we're this is '80s revisited. We we barely dip our toe into the late '70s or early '90s, but they do everything. We'll never be able to do Jurassic Park on this podcast, at least. But they covered that, as well as uh, you know, Mortal Kombat and some other great movies of the '90s and some older stuff too, and also some stuff in the '80s too. Which uh, I think our podcast definitely, uh, uh, what's the word? I f- fucked up and forgot the word. Uh, Complement each other. Like uh, look, listen to our Never Ending Story podcast and then uh, listen to theirs because uh, we distinctly like talked about different things. So you got two different perspectives and also some unique information on each, and it's not just like listening to the same stuff over and over. So a uh, big shout-out to our good friends over there. And next week, everybody. Well, I actually put the wrong movie on next week. That's the week after next. <laughs> but uh, good thing I didn't ruin the surprise. But next week, everybody, we're going to take our dearly deceased little pets and go put them to rest at a little pet cemetery with mm-hmm. an S and an extra A. For some reason. Because, which I'll get into next week <laughs> on 80s Revisited's Halloween Horror Month. But until then, stay safe. And if you see a car following too close to you in your rearview mirror or following you on the road or whatever, be safe. Let them pass because it could be a demonically possessed car. And Chances just, are it is. <laughs> it's, it's South Louisiana, you'd think so. <laughs> so, with the way people drive around here. But anyway, everybody, stay safe and happy haunting and Halloween and all that kind of fun Sticky stuff, like we always say. So until next time, I am Trey Harris. Yes, he said you. Cowabunga! Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.